Today we're going to close out this this series of think, thinking about complacency in the church. And today we want to, as we look in chapter 4, we want to just think for a few moments on the great day of the Lord awaits. The great day of the Lord awaits. Do you know that it's awaiting us? Do you even know what the great day of the Lord is? This chapter is a chapter that helps to remind us, and we need many chapters like chapter 4. You know, because we have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to forget about important things. The great British preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he, he once wrote, a man goes into an inn. And as soon as he sits down, he begins to order. He orders his dinner. He orders his bed. He stays in the inn for some time. By and by, the bill comes due. And it takes him by surprise. That doesn't even make sense, does it? He says... I never thought of that. I I never thought about having to pay all of this. Why? The landlord asks. He is either, here's a man who's either born a fool or else a thief. He never thought of the reckoning. Never thought of settling with me. Spurgeon goes on to say, that this is how many live their lives. Enjoying life, living day to day, and hardly ever thought about the coming day of a reckoning with the Lord that's described in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. It says, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. There's coming a day of reckoning. The great day of the Lord, it's coming. When we look here in chapter 4, we begin to see a little bit about this. The Bible says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like the stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. 
lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is God's holy word. God, as we do come before you, we pray that you would use us this day for your glory. God, hide us behind the cross and you speak your words. And God, as we hear from you today, help us to apply your word to our lives. Help us to live a life that, that shows you that God, as we live in this world, that when people see us, when they come in contact with us, that they will thank God. That they'll think about you because of the lives that we live. And they'll give you glory. And they'll give you honor for every remembrance. God, if there's any with us today who doesn't have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, may this be a day that they realize there's coming a day of reckoning. There's coming a day when they will give an account. Help them this day to cry out to you, God. What must I do to be saved? For we know that he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, we give this to you, and we trust you with all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's so easy for us to get so busy. Busy thinking about, worrying about, working on so many things. that we fail to spend much time thinking about God's day of reckoning. It's closer than it's ever been. Because with every passing day, that day gets a little closer. This is why we need chapters like chapter 4 here in Malachi. The people in Malachi's day were in danger of forgetting about God's judgment. They began to cry out, where is God's justice? We see that in chapter 2. In chapter 3, we find that they say it's useless to serve God. In their minds, many of them saw that there was no profit in obeying God's word. In fact, it's a waste of time, they said in chapter 3. So their mindset was like many today, live and let live, because the proud, they're blessed, and the wicked are prospering. Go ahead and do what we want to do, because God doesn't seem to care. That's what many are saying today. But like the Jews of Malachi's day, many of us have forgotten the reality of God's coming judgment. When we think about this coming judgment, as we look in this passage, we we can't help but see the graphic reality for the fearless. The graphic reality of the fearless. The day of judgment is coming, and that's just a reality. People can tell you it's a myth, 
but it's coming. They can say, well, if if they've been saying that for 2,000 years. Yes, they have, but it's coming. They can say, well, that'll take place after I leave this world. (laughs) It's coming. There is a reality, and that is that it is coming. And it's a day that is, it's a terrible day of wrath. As we read here in this passage, just in verse 1, you begin to see how terrible a day it is. When it comes, the Bible says it's going to burn like an oven and the wicked will be totally consumed. Here the picture here, it gives us a, it gives the picture of this massive oven consuming the proud and all of those who do wickedness like they were dry stubble. The images here are reminded to us that God will purify the earth. And we remember in Malachi 3, 2 through 3, what it says. It says, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like the launderer's soap who will sit as a refiner and a purifier silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Judgment is coming And he's not coming just for the corrupt priest, but he's coming for the faithless also. When Malachi speaks of the proud and the wicked, he's speaking of those who refuse to bow down. He's speaking of those who refuse to live their lives in fear and reverence of the Lord our God. And we either choose to live for Christ or we choose to live apart from Christ. For Romans 3 and 23 declares that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall in this category. None of us have lived or will ever live up to the standards of God. Because of this, there is a penalty to be paid for our sins. And because of this penalty, we all stand in need of a perfect sacrificial lamb. We all stand in need of the one without spot, without blemish that was offered up to God on our behalf and the good news is he has come aren't you glad that he's come he lived a sinless life he died on an old rugged cross he bled for our forgiveness and he died in our place and he arose for our victory we stand in need of Christ because of all that he has done for us Romans 20, Romans 6 and 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So there is a reality for the fearless. And the reality is that you need to know Jesus for the day of judgment is coming. Here the Bible describes it as you're going to be consumed up completely. He's talking about physically here now because your soul and your spirit will dwell forever. You're going to live forever in one of two places, either in in God's kingdom by bowing down to Jesus Christ and making him Lord as your Savior, or you're going to live forever for all eternity in a demon's hell. The choice is up to you. But in the day of the Lord, your body will be consumed completely. You won't have the same body you have. You'll have a body that will endure the flame and as it endures the flame you will be scorched (laughs) you will be burned you will go through the not having anything to quench the thirst it's coming it's coming it's a reality it's coming but when we look in verses 2 and 3 
we begin to see that there's a generous reward for the fearful. God makes a promise to all who fear him. For the fearless, that reward or that, that promise to the fearless is a day of judgment. But verse 2 begins with that conjunction, that word but. Whenever we see that conjunction, it helps us to see that something opposite of what's being already said is about to be said. Boy, I'm so glad for the but. <laughs> I'm so glad for the but that we find here in this scripture because it gives us some encouraging words. It, it really lifts us up. It helps us to see that there's a promise to all who fear him that the son of righteousness, Jesus Christ, will, will come with healing in his wings. Christ, he, here he likens Christ as the sun that rises. We know what takes place when the sun rises. You know, I have trouble waking up in, when it's dark. But when, when it's daylight and I wake and the sun is out, there's something different that comes over me. I, I feel good about getting up when the sun is shining. Don't you? Don't it make you just feel good when you wake up and you look out the window and the sun has risen? When we wake up the, and, and the sun's risen, we begin to think of a bright, a warm and beautiful day. We begin to think of a day that's filled with hope, a day that's filled with joy, that we get to start a brand new day that replaces yesterday. No matter what, yesterday, what took place yesterday, we start a brand new day when the sun comes up. And it gives us joy in the midst of that. But here, as he likens Christ to the sun, he's no ordinary sun. He's the son of righteousness. He brings with him the warmth of his love, the brightness of his glory, the anticipation of full restoration with God the Father. Aren't you looking forward to that? I'm looking forward to the time when I can look upon him for myself, the time when, when there be no more aches and pains, the time when I won't be slothful for prayer. I won't be slothful about reading. I won't be slothful about studying. I won't be dreading the, the, the aches and pains of this body, but a time when it's going to be just joy being in his presence. Here. Yeah. The son of righteousness provides forgiveness for our sins, which brings healing to our broken relationships. And it gives us a new life. When the son of righteousness comes, those who've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will leap for joy because in that day they'll know that they have defeated all their enemies. I want to let you know right now, the day that you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your enemies were defeated. They were put under your feet. All we have to do is trust the power that Jesus Christ placed in us at the time that we received him. Amen. And that power is his Holy Spirit. Yes, the Bible teaches us in Romans 8 and 37 that we are all, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Here the people of Israel were asking earlier if there was any value in serving God. If there was any profit in obeying his word. With this in mind, why not ask the rich man who failed to fear the Lord and who who failed to help the beggar Lazarus. Why don't we ask him? Because when you look in that 16th chapter in the gospel of Luke, you begin to find that the Bible tells us that the beggar died and was carried by the, by the angels into the bosom of Abraham. 
but it also tells us the rich man died and he was buried. Boy, that ought to set your soul on fire. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. It doesn't matter what anyone else said about you. It don't matter if any dignitaries show up at your funeral. It don't matter if you die a beggar. The Lord's coming and he's going to escort you into his presence. Boy, that ought to excite us. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ought to be fearful because when you die, it don't matter what dignitaries show up. It don't matter how many officials come to say goodbye. It doesn't matter who is there. All that's going to happen is you're going to die and be buried and spend eternity in a devil's hell. Well, I want to tell you, judgment is coming. That day of reckoning is coming. That Yeah, that beggar, he was escorted into the presence of God. The Bible tells us that the rich man looked up and he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom comforted. And the rich man was tormented. He was tormented by the flame. He was tormented so that he asked, let Lazarus just touch the water and place his finger on his tongue to just cool it off. I want to tell you folks, there'll be no cooling off. Isn't that just torment itself? There'll be a gulf. The Bible says there was a great gulf that they could not cross. He could look up into glory, but glory didn't look down to him. I want to tell you, that excites me to know. Listen, if you're here and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you don't want to end up in hell. You don't want to look up and see us basking in the worship and the glory of God and not have anything to quench your thirst. But it'll happen. It'll happen. Oh, what about the Bible tells us also that the rich man, he said, you go and tell my five brothers not to come to this place. I want to say this and I say it as gracefully as I can. But there's people here because they have a loved one who's gone on, because they have a friend who's gone on, who didn't leave a testimony. They think, well, I'm just going to go to hell and we'll run hell together. I want to tell you if you've got a friend there, if you've got a father there, if you've got a mother there, if you've got a brother there, if you've got a sister there, if you've got a child there, I want to assure you on the authority of the word of God, they don't want you there. They want you to have something better than what they have. I'm so glad God's got it fixed. I don't know who's there and who's not there. But what I do know is whoever's there don't want me there. And they don't want you there either. Well, if we could hear the witness of hell, it would cry out, get saved. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised. Yes, the witness the witness of hell definitely tells us serving Christ is worth it. <laughs> There's profit in obeying God's word. And that profit is an eternity in glory. Yes, when we look in this passage, well, what comforting words we get. For the believer, what comforting words. And then when we look in verses 4 through 6, we begin to see here that God instructs us to remember God's righteous law. That we are to remember God's righteous law. We're not, he doesn't only in this passage share with us the graphic reality for the fearless. He doesn't only share with us the generous reward for the fearful. But he shares with us that we are to remember God's righteous law. 
Obeying God's word is not a request. It's not something he's asking us to do. It's a command. It's required. God has established his law. And his law gives us the instructions and guidance that we need to know how to live here in this life. We might want to think that the, that the word of God is outdated, but I want to tell you, it fits everything that we experience in this life. And it surpasses all the ages. It'll never run dry. It'll never be out of date. It'll never be out of touch. It'll never be ungood or unuseful for you and I. It's going to always be what we need. We can read all the other books, but if they don't testify of what the word of God says, then they're nothing. They mean nothing. You can read all the books you want on marriage. If you want to know what a biblical marriage is, it tells us right here. You read all the books on raising children. If you want to know how to raise a child in God's order, in God's way, here it is. If you want to know how to be, how to be to your, to your fellow man, to your neighbors, it tells you exactly how we're to live. If you want to know how to submit to those who are in authority above you, it tells you exactly how we're to do it. If you want to know about the law, it has it. If you want to know about science, it has it. If you want to know about history it has it if you want to know about eternity it's the only book that has it but we don't need to run away from this book we need to run to this book we need to remember God's law when we fail to remember his law and obey his word it's the same as as just not fearing his name this failure puts us a, a part of the wicked and the arrogant of this world John Henry Samus recorded some very wonderful lyrics. And when we read these lyrics, it really helps us to understand that to read God's word, we must obey God's word. We can't just read it and be okay. Because there's a convicted spirit that as we learn more about God's word, we become accountable to God's word. And as we become accountable to God's word, we must obey his word. When he speaks to us about reading and observing, he's not talking about just putting it in our minds, but he's talking about putting it in our hearts and putting it in our way of life. And we hear that from this songwriter when he says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the sky, but his smile quickly drives it away not a doubt or fear not a sigh or a tear can abide when we trust and obey not a not a broken we bear not a burden we bear not a sorrow we share nor our toil he doth richly repay not a grief or a loss, not a frown or cross but is blessed if we truly if we trust and obey but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sins we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Brother Ronald, you know that. Why don't we sing two, ver- two courses of that? Just sing through that course twice. I really want you to get the words of this, that when we trust and obey, it's for our benefit. Just go through the course twice, brother. Go ahead. Sing with him. Remembering and obeying God's word is our way to receive his blessings. The blessings that he has in store for us. When we come here to the end of this passage, we begin to see that with the death of Malachi, the voice of God's prophets were silent for 400 years. Then a prophet with the spirit of Elijah. He would come heralding the coming of the Christ. Elijah's mission when he was prophesying on the earth. You remember the story. You remember how Elijah was proclaiming or or challenging Israel to turn from their idols. And to turn back to God. In other words, he was calling out for repentance. They even set up a battle between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, saying that their prophets were greater than, than Elijah's prophet. And we know how that story goes. After the, he made, made a mockery out of those prophets of Baal, and, and he put that altar up on, the, on that altar that he built for God, and, and they poured so much water upon that And upon that offering that it filled up the ditch that he had dug around the altar. He prayed to God and fire came down from heaven and consumed even the water. He called the people to repentance. If we remember, if we remember, John the Baptist was was the fulfillment of, of the prophecy of Malachi. When Malachi says, but behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In Matthew 17, 10 and 13, the Bible says, and his disciples asked him saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first. And we'll restore all things But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer in their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke of John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist set out to prepare the hearts of the people for Jesus by preaching repentance. 
Repent of your sins. This was to bring unity to those who would repent and judgment to those who refused to turn from their sins. When Elijah called Israel to repentance, he preached with the power of the Spirit of God. When John the Baptist called Israel to, re- to repent, he preached with the same power of the Spirit of God. Is he calling you today? You that are here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, is he calling you today? No, Elijah's not here. John the Baptist isn't here. But that same Spirit of God is here. And he's calling you. Will you come? Turn from your sins and turn to me. Would you come? Would you come? He's calling you. He's calling you. Maybe for the church, is he reminding you? Is he reminding me? Is he reminding us of our need to repent? Listen, the call to repentance is our Father calling us to come home. Come home. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus is your Savior, if you can't say, if I leave this world today, heaven's my home, if you can't say that with all assurance today, he's calling you. He's calling you. He's saying, repent. Don't perish. Repent. For a day of reckoning is coming. The great day of the Lord is going to come. And there's only one name. Contrary to what the world may say, there's only one name given among men in heaven and in earth by which man may be saved, and that's the name of Jesus. Come and receive Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner, and that you are in need of a Savior, and believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins, and that He died for our sins, and He arose on the third day. And then if you would confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart, and you must be willing to serve Him. If you are, All you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.